Hi, welcome to Snippets. I am your host for today, Dr. Praneeshravi. For the 19th episode, we will discuss about retinoblastoma. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Sugneshwari, senior retina consultant from Shankar Nitralaya. She is a superwoman and a devout workaholic. Her primary interests are ocular oncology and she was trained under Dr. Shigenbo Suzuki from the National Cancer Center Hospital, Tokyo, Japan. She is so skilled that like a weather forecaster, she can predict the nature of a tumor. To be frank, I am so fortunate to interview her. We are so happy to have you here, madam. It's my pleasure to be discussing on a very important topic here in Snippets today. Ma'am, most of our listeners are postgraduates. Can you give a gist about retinoblastoma and how common it is in India? Dr. Ravi, you asked a very important question for the benefit of the budding ophthalmologist. Retinoblastoma is the most common primary intraocular malignancy of childhood, better called as disease of first. Why? Because it's the first cancer to be even called a genetic disease. First cancer in whom classification, heredity was even incorporated. First doesn't stop with that in retinoblastoma. The first tumor suppressor gene to be cloned and the RB gene was the first of the whole series of tumor suppressor genes. Now you know why we call it disease of first. Answering your second part of the question, 20% of the world's retinoblastoma patients live in India. So approximately it's 1 in 15,000 to 18,000 live births. Couldn't have said it better madam. As far as histopathology is concerned, what is Homer right and flexner winter rosettes? What are their clinical significance? That's another interesting question again. The histopathology patterns are differentiated, not so well differentiated, which is undifferentiated or necrotic. So if we may put it in ascending order, the Homer right rosettes are the ones which will come first. The second would be the flexner winter stainer rosette and the third would be the fluoride in which the differentiation is very close to the photoreceptors. So the clinical implications would be like in young children they will be mostly well differentiated. In the older children they are more supposed to be poorly differentiated. Madam, I've always wanted to know how different is retinoblastoma from the retinoma or a retinocytoma? Retinoma or the retinocytoma, it is the precursor of retinoblastoma. No one knows the exact transformation time from a retinoma to a retinoblastoma. So if you see a patient with retinocytoma, you need to monitor the patient for lifelong. So, in your practice, what is the most common presenting complaint of a patient having retinoblastoma? The commonest presenting complaint of these patients with retinoblastoma has always and always been leukocoria, whether it is India or in any other part of the world. The strabismus, red eye, poor vision, heterochromia, proptosis, they all follow the leukocoria in terms of its prevalence of presenting with retinoblastoma.
and i would say this is something that should never be forgotten that is leukopenia madam the worst part about any case is misdiagnosis so when it comes to retinoblastoma what is the important masquerade to be kept in mind yes one must not misdiagnose a coats disease to be a retinoblastoma and mostly all the differentials for leukopenia right from congenital cataract or to any inflammatory or infective pathologies like toxocariasis endophthalmitis would also be the differentials for retinoblastoma and not to forget the peripheral ret- vascular retinopathies like FEVR the familial exudative vitreo retinopathy or retinopathy of prematurity retinal dysplasia these can also mimic a retinoblastoma because the treatment modalities are different one has to be really very careful in making a diagnosis of a retinoblastoma but having said all that the closest one which would be is a coats disease very informative madam now when a patient with retinoblastoma presents to you what would be your thought process or what will be your uh, preliminary steps that you would do to investigate this case well investigating a case of retinoblastoma is something which i would say that it is a very important so first is the history history is very important in a patient when you're dealing with a cancer because you need to know the details about any other relatives suffering from cancer so any cancer that may be that detail also has to be noted down and the duration of the disease or when did they note it all these details have to be documented and the next thing would be a handheld slit lamp examination if that is possible and if the child is cooperative and again the intraocular pressures that needs to be taken as well if you can manage on a child in the outpatient clinic indirect ophthalmoscopy the most crucial that would be followed by an ultrasound imaging and which will be followed by the magnetic resonance imaging which should include the brain and the orbit once this is all done then we have to subject the child for staging the disease so we have to post the child for examination under anesthesia and then we do a complete evaluation of the anterior segment the intraocular pressure the indirect ophthalmoscopy then we need to plan out the treatment so this is for an intraocular tumor and if you have an advanced intraocular tumor you may subject the child for a metastatic workup also or if you have clues on the magnetic resonance imaging of optic nerve extension then in that case again the child needs to be subjected for a csf and a bone marrow examination the worst part about retinoblastoma from a postgraduate perspective is removing the staging ma'am so could you throw us some light on the various staging of retinoblastoma and the inconsistencies in them well let me make this simpler one has to remember two terminologies that is grouping and staging grouping is done by ocular oncologist and staging is done by the pediatric oncologist the pathologist so our job as an ophthalmologist would be to do the grouping so the classifications which has been there 
the Reese Ellsworth and the other classifications which are not currently in use. The reason being Reese Ellsworth based its classification on the then available treatment that was the radiation therapy which is no longer being used as the primary modality of treatment. Henceforth, Reese Ellsworth has become a historical point of importance. The most widely used classification is the International Classification of Intraocular Retinoblastoma, so which I will be detailing now, so that will help you in order to group your patients. So to remember, for intraocular retinoblastoma, it is in the alphabetical order of A to E. A being the tumor which is small and B being the tumor which is a little bit closer to the vital structure. So what do you mean by vital structures? It is the optic nerve and the macula. Next comes the C in which you may have a little bit of extension into the anatomical spaces. So what do you mean by anatomical spaces? The subretinal space, the vitreous which is close confined but still confined. So that is in C. If your tumor is disseminated, diffused, then that is coming in D and E when you have extensive, when you have a glaucoma or when you have a thysis, so all these things comes in group E. So I guess this will help you in terms of grouping your patient. The fallacies associated with the intraocular classification currently is the description of seeds and the arbitrary quantification of the seeds for the vitreal and the subretinal. This creates quite a bit of inter-observer variations. So if we have something which can be quantified in this grouping system, that would be more helpful in creating a uniform platform across the globe. Next, coming on into the staging. So the staging is what is done after the enucleation. So not before the enucleation. So with the enucleation, the pathologist would do the staging and the pediatric oncologist. So you have clinical staging, pathological staging, which also includes the heredity as well. So I hope I have made it simpler in terms of the classification. You know, let's not get confused with too many classifications. The one which is to be followed is more simple. So, which is the ICIRB classification. That was easy to remember, madam. Now, having an idea about grouping, how would you approach a case of retinoblastoma? Yes. Now, how do we approach this? So, we have to follow three golden rules in retinoblastoma treatment. That is, saving the life is always first. Saving the eye is the next golden rule. So the number three golden rule is saving the vision which is last in the criteria of management of retinoblastoma. I am sure for every ophthalmologist saving the vision comes first but when you are dealing with retinoblastoma saving the vision comes last. So what are the tools that we have in our armamentarium? So when you talk about local treatment or we popularly say consolidation it's the laser the transpupillary thermotherapy and the cryotherapy. The next is the chemotherapy. So in the chemotherapy, we could deliver it through the 
intra-arterial group, which is called the intra-arterial chemotherapy, the intravenous chemotherapy, and the third is the intravitreal chemotherapy. Now coming on to radiotherapy. So you have the flat radiotherapy, which is the focalized radiotherapy towards a particular lesion, and then you have the external beam radiation therapy. The success of treatment lies on how we effectively combine treatments. So for small tumors, something like the group A in which where you have the height of the tumor, the height of the tumor plays a quite an important role in administering treatment. So if your height of the tumor is very less, then you may use transpupillary thermotherapy for posterior tumors. If they are peripheral tumors, you may opt to use the cryotherapy. Now moving on into the next one, if we have the tumor a little larger size, your height is more than 3 mm and you have diameters which are like medium or large size diameters, then what do you do? One has to remember we have to reduce the volume, the volume reduction, how is it done with chemotherapy, whether you use intravenous chemotherapy or intra-arterial chemotherapy, that would be your choice, how you can manage the situation if you have expertise in terms of interventional radiologist who can provide you good support, then intra-arterial chemotherapy will be a good option. But to say for bilateral tumors which are bilateral, we probably need to opt for intravenous chemotherapy. For unilateral, intra-arterial chemotherapy would be a preferred choice. So now after using the chemotherapy, we must remember that the focal treatment has to be done. So focal treatment in the sense like as I told you, we may use transpupillary chemotherapy for posterior and for peripheral, the cryotherapy. And for bilateral tumors, intravenous chemotherapy is preferred. So we classically use the vincristin, lutoposide and the carboplatin for intravenous chemotherapy. Once we use the chemotherapy from the third cycle onwards, when you get the volume reduction, then we start using the consolidation treatments. If we have vitreous seeds, then probably in the group C or in the group D, then you manage it along with the intravitreal chemotherapy apart from your intravenous chemotherapy and the focal treatment. So that is what needs to be added. And in spite of all these treatments, you still have a single large peripheral tumor which is not responding to your intravenous chemotherapy and your focal treatments. What would you do? If it's a peripheral tumor, yes, we may add brachytherapy and if it is anterior to the equator. If it is a unilateral group D or the group E, these tumors are better enucleated. I hope I have made the treatment a lot simpler to understand and then take it further. We know that retinoblastoma has a lot to do with inheritance. So how often and when do you ask the patient to go for genetic counselling? Oh, this is a very wonderful and a very important question. I would subject every patient of mine with retinoblastoma for genetic screening. The reason being for a precise prediction of risk in the family members and the future offspring, this is very important. And yet another thing is, if you would like to know in a patient who is having a heritable retinoblastoma, who will carry a germline mutation in the RB1 tumor suppressor gene, they have the possibility of developing not only retinal tumors, but also pineal tumors, which we call as trilateral retinoblastoma. 
and second cancers later in life like the osteosarcomas and the other sarcomas and the malignant melanomas we need to know the genetics and individuals with non heritable retinoblastomas they are not at increased risk for cancers later in life nor are there any of their relatives in present or in future so i guess that sums up the importance of genetic testing in retinoblastoma patients of late the focus has been shifted from systemic to local therapy could you tell us a few words about intra arterial and intra vitreal chemotherapy on which you had a first hand experience from dr kanego this is a question close to my heart it's a dream come true i had the greatest opportunity to learn from the pioneers dr kanego ocular oncologist and dr mauli interventional radiologist were first to conceptualize and administer successful chemotherapy through the ophthalmic artery in national cancer center tokyo they called it selective ophthalmic artery infusion wherein a micro balloon catheter was inserted into the internal carotid artery distally to the ostium of the ophthalmic artery via a transfemoral approach and the drug which was delivered was melphalan but this actually revolutionized the management of retinoblastoma especially in eyes with group D and E which were once upon a time inucleated are now more being salvaged the greatest benefit is avoiding the side effects of systemic chemotherapy again intravitreal therapy was also the gift of dr kaniko to ocular oncologists to address the troublesome issue of vitreous seas which otherwise would never budge with the routine treatments which are available so the drugs which we commonly use for intra arterial or intra vitreal chemotherapy are topotecan and melphalan that's the end of the interview guys hope you guys enjoyed it for more interesting updates and episodes do subscribe to snippets on the respective platforms and do join us on facebook and follow us on twitter i once again thank dr signeshwari for the scanning conversation and do fill the feedback form thank you